Well, we have been on this journey for these past several months. Like last year, usually I, I start working on my preaching calendar um, the summer before. So probably sometime last year, last summer, going into the fall, God placed on my heart to go through what we've been going through right now, a year, after, a year or so ahead of schedule. And, and to be honest, I, I think going through this final discourse and, and just seeing what Jesus wanted to say to his closest followers is, to be honest, it, it's what we need to hear today. It's what we need to hear in the season that we find ourselves. Like he reminds his disciples that, yes, I'm leaving, you know, and all that stuff. But he says, there's going to be trouble that's going to come. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be hatred. There's going to be oppression that comes your way. And really this final discourse, this, this intimate conversation he's having, what his desire and his plan is to prepare them for what's to come. And we've been looking at this final discourse that we find in John 14 to 16. It started in the upper room with Jesus washing their feet to enjoying the Last Supper to Judas leaving so he could betray Jesus. And then they went on this walk. They left the upper room and then they went on this walk towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And we, we have seen some, some amazing conversations that have been taking place on this walk along this dusty road in the coolness of the evening. And today what we're doing is we're starting the final leg of that journey. And, and, and this week we find ourselves in John 17. And the title of this next leg of this series is called In But Not Of. In But Not Of. And this, to be honest, this is the prayer that Jesus has for his followers. That they will be in the world but not of the world. That is his prayer. That is his heart. That is his desire for, for his disciples. And it's his desire for us. And, and we're called, right, to do that. To be in the world, to live in the world, but not to be of the world. Like we, we are to be salt and light in the world, but not allow the world to impact us, to influence us. And that's why recently you've, you've heard me say things like, don't allow culture to tell you how to read God's word. That don't allow culture to influence you. Don't allow culture to tell you how you need to interpret God's word and what it actually says. And that these are the things that he is preparing his disciples for and for us today. This idea of being in the world, being this amazing impact in the world, but not to be of the world. So what exactly does that mean? What does it mean for us to be in the world, but not of the world? And the entire chapter of John 17 records for us this prayer of Jesus. We are now in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is starting this final prayer. It's a prayer he prayed on the night that he would be betrayed. This is, this is the site. This is the spot where Judas and all those soldiers will come and arrest Jesus. So, John jumps right into this prayer, right off the bat. In John 17, in verse 1, this is what we read. He says this, after saying all of these things, and when he says all of these things, he means the conversation that they've been having from John 14 to John 16. 
it says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to the heavens. Now, John doesn't tell us a lot about the emotion that Jesus is feeling here. But it's interesting, though, that the Gospel of Matthew gives us a lot more detail, actually, surrounding how Jesus felt in this moment. He's in the garden, he's looking up to heaven, and he he starts off the prayer by saying, Father. So, before we jump into this prayer, I want us to to take a few minutes to, to... try to achieve a better understanding of the emotion, the feelings that Jesus had this night in this moment in the garden. And Matthew does a great job of describing that. He does a great job to help us with that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew. We're going to stick in Matthew 26 for a little bit because it gives us, this, it gives us some details about what, how Jesus was feeling this night and in this current moment. So this is what Matthew records. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, this is what it says. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove named Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief. So much so to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground. In this final night of his life, we learn from Jesus here how to pray when we feel overwhelmed in our life. In Matthew 26, he says here his soul is crushed to the point of death. What he's describing here is just this absolute emotional despair. So let me ask you, when you hear Jesus describe himself feeling this way, what's that do to you? When you read this, of what, how Jesus is describing what he's feeling, what does that do to you? I think that makes some of us really uncomfortable, to be honest. Because we have this, I think at times we have this idea in our minds that Christians aren't really supposed to feel this way. In fact, a lot of times we find that the Christian advice that some people might have given Jesus in this moment would be something like this. You know what, hey Jesus, you know what, just don't feel that way. You know, don't feel that way. Uh, You you shouldn't be feeling that way. Like, you believe, you have a faith, so you shouldn't be doing this. Because maybe some of us grew up in a church. Or maybe Christian environments where the spiritual way to act when you feel overwhelmed, it's just to smile and to pretend everything is okay, right? Like when we come to church and when people come up and say, you know what, how are you doing? How's your week? It was fine. Put on a smile, say everything was fine. And we pretend. We pretend everything's okay and for some reason we feel that's what we need to do when we come to church, that that's what we need to do when we 
when we fellowship with brothers and sisters, and even we feel we need to do that when we come into the presence of God. But here, here in this scripture, we have Jesus, and he is raw, and he's vulnerable, and he's overwhelmed as he faces a really difficult future here. Now, I know that there's at least part of you, at least if you're like me, when you feel overwhelmed and anxious, you know, you want to come to church and you want to hear this. Everything's good. You're doing good. You're great. Everything you're doing is perfect. Don't change a thing. If you're overwhelmed and worried, just don't feel that way. It's okay. But Jesus here shows us that sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is actually be honest about how we feel. And to even go further that, but to cry out to God in prayer, sometimes feeling overwhelmed with emotion. And you hear me say that all the time. Because if people get emotional here, what do they do? They say, oh, I'm sorry. And what's my response? I say, don't be sorry. You don't need to be sorry. Emotion's good. It's good for us to show emotion with one another. I know it's important that some of you hear that because maybe you grew up with those types of, that those types of feelings, they weren't allowed or they weren't encouraged or at least they were to be avoided, right? Depending on your household that you grew up with or, or maybe the type of church you grew up in, that these types of feelings weren't allowed or encouraged or at least to be avoided and to be suppressed and to be ignored. And because of that upbringing, because of that maybe idea of what, what you think about your emotions, that you've got really good at it. You've got really good at avoiding. You've gotten really good at suppressing those feelings and those emotions. And you think, and a lot of us think, you know, that just seems to be the Christian thing to do. That's what we're supposed to do. But we're not. Jesus here shows us that when we feel that way, we can actually take those things to God in prayer. Maybe you were never taught that that was okay. And if that's true, then you've likely tried to find other ways to deal with how you feel, and maybe that explains some things that you're struggling with right now in your life. There's just so many times when we just don't understand why. Why we do what we do when all we're trying to do is deal with these unwanted emotions that we don't know what to do with. I think one of the most common ways that we deal with how we feel when we're overwhelmed, overwhelmed is what therapists would call uh, transference. Think, I think that is one of the common ways that we deal with our emotions and our feelings, and that's transference. And that idea of transference is this. It's where you take these unwanted emotions and what you do is you transfer them onto someone else around you, like a parent or maybe a child or a spouse or something like that. Usually someone that's really close to you, someone that you know is safe, that you can do that to. And we take that emotion, we feel, and we direct all of it towards someone else. So, 
what Jesus does here for us here in John 17 and in Matthew 26 is he actually shows us what to do when we feel this way. He shows us. Instead of trying to numb ourselves and transferring these emotions onto other people, Jesus actually practices transference here. Did you notice that? But listen to this point. He transfers the weight of what he's going through, these emotions, these feelings, not over to James and John or Peter or those guys. He transfers them over to God in prayer. So I want to unpack that just a little bit here today. But before we leave Matthew 26, I don't want you to miss this piece. Jesus tells his closest followers how he is feeling. I don't want want you to miss that. Jesus is telling his closest friends how he actually is feeling. He says this in verse 38. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He tells them how he's actually truly feeling in the moment, but he doesn't stop there. But he asks them to stay with him. Tells them how he's feeling, and he asks them to stay with him. Now listen, that's really hard for some of us to do. But when you humble yourself... In that way, what you're doing is you're actually following the example of Jesus himself. It's not weak. It's strong for you to say to maybe to some Christian friends, I'm overwhelmed right now. I'm overwhelmed. Because if it was okay for Jesus to do that, then it's definitely okay for you to do that as well. And some of you right now, You felt so overwhelmed that maybe you wanted to do stuff that would seriously impact your life. And I want you to listen to me in this moment, right now. I've been a bit overwhelmed recently. I haven't even been feeling well for most of this week. I've been over in Vancouver for a couple of those days with denominational, regional meetings. And even at one point throughout this week, I thought maybe just knowing how my couple, last week or so has gone, feeling a bit overwhelmed, not really feeling well. You know, I'm, I'm over in Vancouver for a couple days in meetings all day long. Maybe it's just best if, if I got someone else to fill in and preach for me. But I felt at least part of what, I, what was happening was that the enemy didn't want me to say to you this part of the message. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why I will hop up on Tylenol and all that other stuff so, so that this message can get to you today. He didn't want me to say to you what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying to you right now. And he's fighting really hard to keep you in the darkness and to cloud your thinking, to convince you that there is no hope in your life, that there is no point 
in your life. And to be honest, that, no, that no one really even cares about you. I want to make sure that you hear me say this to you here today. That he, your enemy, is a liar. He is a liar. There is hope. There is a point for your life. And your life has a purpose. And you are loved. And God wants you to know that he sees you. And that he knows how you're feeling. And what you're going through. And that he's there. If you don't get anything else. I believe that's what God is wanting to say to you today. That, that one night here in the Garden of Gethsemane, he felt that way too. And he wants you to reach out right now and tell someone that you love and that you trust what you're dealing with and how you're feeling No, if you feel this, if you don't feel you have someone to reach out to in that way, can I encourage you and plead with you? Contact me. Contact me. Either by calling the church office, by texting me, by emailing me, by messaging me, whatever way. Because I don't want you to be alone in, this, in that state. I don't want you to be alone in this season. And we would be honored to pray with you and to help you and support you in any way. Now in John 17, Jesus begins his prayer with one word and one word only. But it tells you so much about the kinds of prayers that we are invited to pray in the darkest moments of our life. He begins with the simple word, Father. It's how he begins this. Begins by saying, Father. And the Gospel of Mark actually points out that Jesus is actually using the word Abba here to address God. And if you don't know the significance of that word Abba, it is actually the most intimate and personal word for God. Essentially what he is saying is he's he's saying, Daddy, Daddy. That's what he's saying. So here's what Jesus does. He is practicing transference here. But not the way that we do it, where we transfer it on everybody else, but instead of transferring all of his emotions and all of his feelings out to all the people around him, his disciples that would have been close to him, instead of lashing out, instead of doing all that, he transfers all of that weight over to God. And this is the prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everything. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. So Jesus prays. And he says to God, he says, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. 
So look, here's the easiest way to think of the prayer here. Jesus is essentially saying this. He's saying, Dad, when you're ready, I'm ready to come home. That's essentially what he is saying here. He's saying, Dad, if you're ready, I'm so ready to come home. Jesus is experiencing the full struggle and suffering of this life right here. But he knows this one amazing truth. He knows that it's not his home. This is not his home. So when he prays to God as a father, that's one of the truths that he's acknowledging is this, that he is not home. He's not home. Our home is with the Father. And that means that during this life here on earth, when we pray, we're constantly being reminded that we're here, but we're not home. And this is a constant theme throughout the, throughout the New Testament. You see this idea over and over again. For instance, in Philippians 3, it refers to us as citizens of heaven. We're here, but we're not home. Right? In 1 Peter 2, he describes us as temporary residents. Right? We're here, but we're not home. That they're not just they're not home yet. They're here but not home. And every time we pray to God as Father about the challenges, about the struggles, about the troubles of life in this world, we are reminding ourselves, whether we realize it or not, but maybe going forward, you'll give it this recognition going forward. We are reminding ourselves that this is just temporary. This is temporary. This isn't our home if Jesus is Lord and Savior of our life. I recall what St. Teresa of Avila said, and she, she experienced incredible loss in her life. She endured years and years of sickness and suffering, but towards the end of her life, she said this. She said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient motel. I'm sure you can relate to that. I'm sure over the course of your life and traveling, I'm sure you have spent at least one night in not a great motel. And for you, you probably thought, this is like the end of my life. This is the end of the world. Like this is a a crummy motel. And how am I supposed to get comfortable? How am I supposed to sleep? I remember us experiencing something like that coming back from from when there was a denominational event in Banff and Lisa and I were coming back and stayed in a hotel. It was not a pleasant hotel at all. But St. Teresa of Avila is saying that the worst suffering on earth will, in light of heaven, will only be seen uh, no more than just one night in an inconvenient motel. It's temporary. We're here, but we're not home yet. So at this hour, we cry out to our Father, and to some degree or another, we feel overwhelmed and lonely and maybe anxious, maybe afraid, maybe even frustrated. But we must never forget this as we experience those things, is this, we are here, but we're not home. We're not home. This is not our home. 
We are citizens of heaven, but like I challenged us last week, we need to live here on earth as citizens of heaven. The first word Jesus speaks in John 17 is Father. But there's one more thing I don't want you to miss. It's the posture that Jesus takes here. Before even beginning to pray, it says this, Jesus looked up to heaven. Jesus looked up to heaven. That's what we want to do together. That's the posture I want to invite you to have. In this season, where everyone is either looking left or they're looking right, what we can get from Jesus, we want to look up. We want to look up. Not focus on what everyone else is doing to our left and to our right, but we need to remind ourselves we need to focus and look up, right? That we need to fix our eyes on God. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to look up to our Heavenly Father, and we want to remind ourselves as we do that that we are not home yet. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that um, we, we thank you for just how Jesus is showing us how to manage and how to respond and how to deal with some of these emotions and feelings of being overwhelmed, of being stressed, of being burdened. And I pray, Lord, that we can, we can live out the example that Jesus is showing here. Instead of transferring all of those emotions and those feelings onto other people around us, I pray we put all that weight on you. Because we believe in you. And we've learned that in this final discourse about this idea of believing you and trusting you. It's this idea of putting all of our weight onto something so we can move forward. So I pray we put all of our weight of our emotions and our feelings onto you. And as we live this life, that we are just reminded that um, we're here, yes, but we're not home. We're not home yet. That we are citizens of heaven, living here on earth to make an impact, to point and connect people to Jesus Christ. Help us with that this coming week. We pray this in your name. Amen.